That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, what's up? Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. I'm Shane Raymer, and you're listening to That Sober Guy podcast where we talk about drugs alcohol recovery and help people stay sober and help help people stay sober kind of had a, a little twang to it there as it rolled off the old tongue we also talk about some other random shit we have some fun in the process i'm announcing my my words and my peas very firm in this moment right now i'm feeling it i got a lot of energy right now it needs to come off it's been a long day and i'm ready to puke some recovery all over the microphone, we're going to talk about how to party sober. So now we've got a few things we're going to talk about. That's the main kind of uh, the main meat and potatoes of the content today. And then also, I got a question for you: What does Wu Tang, Bill Murray, and uh, the world's least popular big pharma CEO have in common? This is a true story, and we're going to find out later. Well, allegedly, it's a true story. A part of it, part of it's true. Part of it is. Uh, possibly a legend, but we're going to find that out later on in the podcast. So make sure you stick around for that. Uh, we're going to jump right in, but first be sure to check us out at that sober You can also connect with us on Instagram at real that sober guy and on Twitter at Shane Raymer. Now finding the right treatment for addiction and mental health illness can be tough. That's why sober guys continue to partner with foundations recovery network Foundation stays true to their mission, holds high ethical standards while providing treatment in their nationwide network of residential and outpatient programs. Foundation has individualized treatment plans and they're focused on creating lifetime relationships for long-term recovery. Now, as part of this vision, they've built the industry's leading research and outcomes program to fulfill each commitment for each patient and not only the patient, but their loved ones uh, and also meet their personal goals. Uh, You're going to be taken care of with foundations. I promise you that. uh, And that's why we continue to partner with them. Uh, To learn more, go to foundationshelp.com slash sober guy. That's foundationshelp.com slash sober guy. Or you can call 833-81-SOBER. That's 833-81-SOBER. And you can talk with an admissions coordinator about treatment options. We got some live shows coming up. Uh, We're going to be, well, first of all, Speaking of foundations, we're going to be at the Innovations in Recovery Conference. We're going to be podcasting live April 16th through the 19th. That's in San Diego at Hotel Del Coronado. Uh, If you want some more information about that uh, event, uh, what it's about, who's going to be there, uh, how you can get tickets, any of that stuff if you're down in the San Diego area, uh, you can go to foundationsevents.com. That's foundationsevents.com, and you can get some more info there. Now, we also have some live podcasts coming up uh, up here in the Sacramento Bay Area, Solano County area. We're going to be doing these at Journey Coffee in Vacaville. Uh, we have some dates here, April 6th, May 11th, June 1st, July 6th, and August 3rd. So basically, we're going to start at, at uh, the top of the spring next month or right around there, and we're going to roll on through through August through the summertime. So we're going to do that on the first Saturday. I think May is the only uh, month where we're doing it the second Saturday because it's little Lucy's uh, birthday that weekend uh, before. But other than that, all the other shows will be that first Saturday of the month, uh, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. 
And uh, we're going to be having some guests, some good guests, by the way, uh, some Q&As. Uh, we're going to have some fun. We're going to party sober. We're going to drink some damn good coffee. Journey's got some of the best coffee around, uh, lots of good food, all that kind of good stuff. And we're going to have some community, and we're going to create conversation around recovery. We're going to have some fun in the process. Uh, so if you're in the area, come check it out. Throw those dates on your calendar. Once again, that's April 6th, May 11th, June 1st, July 6th, and August 3rd. Uh, and then, of course, look out for more info. If you find us on Instagram, if you haven't already, it's at real that sober guy once again. And uh, I'll be posting updates, flyers, um, you know, who's going to be there on the specific dates as those kind of roll out. Uh, so look out for those. Um, now, shout out to my longtime homie, Sean Beasy, man. Uh, Talk to this cat today and we've been keeping in touch. Dude's got 12 days sober as of today. Uh, so just want to say super proud of him. Um, and super proud of all you guys out there who are in, well, anybody in recovery, but first and foremost, all my homies out there, uh, and folks that I haven't met yet that just listen to the show and helps to get you through maybe in that early days of recovery, man, this one's for you. Uh, I know Sean would say the same thing. Keep, uh, keep it up, keep going, keep showing up, keep putting in the work. Uh, that's really what it's about. And I think we'll get into this a little bit more later on in, uh, in the podcast, but I just want to say that there's so much more to recovery. And this is, this is something that Sean and I talked about a little bit earlier tonight. Um, you know, there's so much more to a program. It's not just about trying to stay sober and staying away from alcohol and drugs. It's a program about how to live life, how to be spiritually fit. And we're going to talk about that in this podcast tonight, what that looks like, uh, and, uh, and, and maybe give you some tips, uh, from my own experience, how, how I've been able to, uh, to do it so far. Uh, so once again, much love to the homie Sean and to all the homies out there who are in early recovery, keep it up a little word of encouragement, man. Uh, you can do this shit. So, so stick to it. Um, now I get a lot of questions speaking to that about early sobriety. What do I do? Where do I go? What don't I do? How do I stay sober? Um, you know, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Look, I don't have all the answers. Okay. I can share what's worked for me and that's what I always try to stick to, but here's what I finally did me and some of my closest friends, some colleagues, some podcasters. Um, we got together, we created a podcast video course called how to navigate the first 90 days of sobriety. It's not a magic wand. That's going to keep you sober. It's meant to, um, uh, to be, uh, watched, taken in. Um, listen to however you want to do it in addition to a recovery program. And we talk about that a lot in the, in the course itself. If you're interested in that, you can get the course by going to that sober and you can click on courses. Once again, that's sober guy.com, uh, that sober uh, and click on the courses tab and you can get a little promo video there. It'll show you a little bit what it's about. Um, and, uh, you can go from there if you're interested in that. Um, Let's see. Uh, one of is this the last thing I had here? I believe it is. Yeah, last thing on today before we get into uh, get into today's content. Um, I wanted to let you know about Transitions Daily. Uh, it's been a while since I've talked about Transitions Daily. It's one of the best tools out there. Uh, I use it personally every day. And here's what it is. It's a Transitions Daily is a daily AA email, and it's sent right to your inbox and. and uh, uh, check this out though. Now they have a podcast where members of AA, uh, they actually read each transitions daily in podcast format. So you have the, the email format, which gets emailed to me, 
uh, probably gets emailed to, to me. I'm on Pacific time about eight o'clock every night. And then I let it sit in my box until the following morning, uh, when I wake up, um, and, uh, and then, and then I'll, I'll do, uh, I'll do the transitions that next morning. And now in addition to that, uh, you can also get it in a podcast format. So here's what you can do. Go to dailyaaemails.com, sign up there. It's a hundred percent free. Uh, and like I said, it's one of my favorite tools. I use it in my own recovery daily. Um, usually while I'm taking my morning dump, uh, sipping on some coffee, I read a little transitions daily. I try to get my mind right, get in the right mode. Um, you know, and, and if it's time to do the old lean and wipe or stand and wipe, I don't have to be interrupted now from my reading. I could just put the podcast on. Ah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So one more time, go to dailyaaemails.com uh, and you can check that out there. Uh, and speaking of wiping, you know, one thing that's been bugging the shit out of me literally, just keeps putting the toilet paper on upside down. Okay, I want you to picture this now. You can put it one way so when you pull the fold down, it comes over from the top. That's how I prefer it, okay? I like my toilet paper a specific way. An anal bastard. But she keeps putting it on from the bottom and I asked her about it the other day. I said, hey babe, I said, you know, are you, do you realize when you put the toilet paper on that you put it on upside down? And she goes, what the hell are you talking about? You're a psycho freak. I go, no, 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 no. You put it on the bottom and you got to pull it down. I need it to go from the top over. It messes up my whole dump. Okay. It throws everything off. I need it the right way. So every time I go in now, I got to switch it around. Haven't figured out. I don't think she's doing it on purpose yet. But if she's messing with me, she's getting me good. You got to have, just like, are you a folder or a crumpler? You a folder, crumpler? What, you know, what are you? I'm a folder. I like to pre-fold. I like to get many lined up, ready to go while I'm looking at my uh, uh, transitions daily. You know, right after that, I get them ready. And then I want to pull down when I'm doing my pre-fold before. I want to pull down on the old TP roll. It's got to go that way. All right, enough of that. How to party sober. How do you party sober? What is partying sober? Let's start there. What is partying sober? To me, partying sober is having a damn good time and being sober. It's as simple as that. I'm sure I could sit and go on into different uh, uh, different specific things of what that is. I'm not going to do that right this second. Uh, but partying sober to me is being able to go out and be in an environment um, and, uh, you know, be in a healthy spiritual environment and still have a good time and be sober. Um, now, how do you do it? It's somewhat of a different question. I think it's a little bit different for everybody. Depends where you're at in your recovery. Um, you know, and that's something we're going to talk about today. So where, where do you party sober? You know, where do I party sober? Um, this weekend, my homeboy Scotty's turning 40, baby. Scotty turning 40. I love it. This is birthday. Excuse me. My, uh, his birthday weekend. Dude, what's up, man? I'm getting the burps again, man. I think it's a, I think it's a, become a natural thing now. Let me take a sip real quick here. Mmm. I got some almond milk in that coffee there. It's a little weird tasting. Not my favorite. But Scotty's 40th, man, this weekend in Lake Tahoe. Technically, it's Truckee or Donner Lake. Uh, in fact, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on the Friday that it goes live, I'm probably driving there. 
right now, probably in the truck with the Wreckers, Nick and Jen. Oh yeah, we're rolling down Highway 80, headed out to, uh, and, and the Jess, of course, by the way, you know, the Jess is rolling too, man. This is a, this is a couple's thing for, for many of us. Um, you know, we're probably rolling down 80 and talking some shit, listening to some music, uh, away from the kids for a couple of days. It's going to be a good time. Now there's about 40 people in the house this weekend, or I think 26 to 30, maybe 30 people in the house. There's 40 or 50 that are coming. This house is massive. It's a huge, huge house, uh, with plenty of room, plenty of space, plenty of things to do. Um, there's also going to be plenty of partying going on and I'll probably be one of the only ones who's sober during, during that time. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like, not only in this weekend's uh, festivities, uh, but some other ones too. Like Jess and I have, um, we have a date night coming up to go see Mark Farina. Who knows about Mark Farina? Anybody out there? One of Jess's favorite DJs, she turned me on to him back in the day, back in the, uh, probably, I think he was really, really popular in the late 90s and into the 2000s. Uh, definitely still a phenomenal DJ and still out there doing the thing. Um, we're going to go see him in Sebastopol. And uh, man, I got to pull the line too. I just want to dance. I just I just want to dance. I think it was Dane Cook that went off about that. He goes, man, you never hear a dude just say, I just, I just want to fucking dance right now. I can't dance. I don't. I just kind of bob my head a little bit. Just kind of get down, like bump into the beat a little bit, you know, getting down. Man, but Jess and I were stoked to get these tickets. You know, Jess, Jess can dance, by the way. She used to be uh, pretty damn good. I'm sure she still is. She just gets all shy now because she feels like she's a mom. I'm a mom. You're a mom, but you're a babe, and you got to get out and do the thing still. So we try to get out, have a good time, go see Mark Farina, um, dance a little bit. We also talked about like taking when we used to go out a lot and take drugs at parties and stuff. Gosh, what a Ooh, man, just like gives me the fucking goosebumps just to think about it a little bit, man. We, we, we partied pretty hard. We had some good times. I'm very glad, very, very glad that I party sober now. You know, I, I get to go into environments where um, there is uh, drinking going on sometimes. I can't hide from it forever. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I have some really, really good stuff I want to touch on. Uh, from uh, the the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that really that really goes on to to talk about how do we go into environments uh, where there's alcohol? Do we have a purpose to be there? Is it okay to do that? And uh, man, I was talking to Buddy today, and I told him a little bit about what you know the the content was for this podcast, and he goes, "Man, go to, go to you know check out page uh, one hundred one in the big book." And so I did, and it's perfect. It's so fitting. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit um, first about some of the specific environments. So we're having a party weekend this weekend. You know, we're going to go see Mark Farina in a couple weekends. I'm taking cash uh, to uh, to opening day coming up in a couple weeks. We're going to the Coliseum. I think I mentioned that last week. Um, you know, and real quick on that, and obviously. You know, back in the day, I wouldn't be going to games and getting, well, I, you know what? I don't even know at this point. I was going to say I wouldn't be going to the games with my kids and getting shit-faced, but um, I'm trying to remember back if when I took Lucy to her first game if I was sober or not because she was young. She was probably three. Um, 
I can't quite remember, but all I know is it's, it's phenomenal feeling to be able to go to a game and, uh, you know, and not have to trip on how I'm going to drive home or am I going to be able to make it home or, uh, am I going to even watch any of the game, all that stuff, you know, and you know, I get to go enjoy it with my boy, you know, his first opening day and I party sober, baby. We're partying sober. We're watching some baseball. We're having a good time. We're getting some sun. We're eating a bunch of shitty food, having a good time. I also wanted to touch on grown man with the glove game. Has anybody ever heard of that? Grown man with the glove game. I want you to do this next time you go. Well, hopefully maybe it's you, but next time you go, I hope not. Uh, you should be embarrassed. If it is be embarrassed of yourself. Damn it. Grown man with a glove. <laughs> next time you go to a game, we like to play this little game where we count how many grown men we can see with a glove at a game. Now, here's the caveat to that. I think that's the right word. Caveat, caveat, something like that. Now, if grown man with a glove has a child with him, a son, a daughter, who also has a glove, he gets a pass. It's completely okay. Awesome. There with your kids, bring your glove. Cool. But grown man with a glove who is at a game with no children around, he is just there to catch a foul ball or get a ball thrown into the crowd from another grown man who throws a ball for a living. And, and this grown man with a glove is so excited about that. There is something wrong there, buddy. You can't do it. It should be illegal. You catch that shit with your bare hands like a man. You don't come and bring a glove as a grown man to a game. Now, I was in the barbershop this morning, and we talked a little bit about this uh, as well. And we talked about how a grown man with a glove, that's part of it. And then also, I was explaining uh, how last time we went to the Coliseum, the A's players, man, they're so good with the kids. Like, if you get there early, uh, you can go down, uh, right down by the bullpen or right down on the third baseline, and, uh, you know, Mostly all the players are, are will be there at some point or another. And if you got your kid with you, um, you know, they will really make a solid effort to get to as many kids as they can. I think last time Cash got two different balls. You know, he got a couple high fives. Um, I don't I didn't have a pen on me at the time, so you know, we didn't have him sign any of the balls or anything. But it was cool for him, man, to be down there and be up in the mix. And we'll probably do the same thing on opening day. A lot of excitement going on. You know, you, you kind of got to push your way down there and get up in there. And, um, you know, he gets to see the players. And now here's what we were talking about. You take all that and then you take the fact that there's grown men, some of them with gloves, some of them not. Either way, it doesn't matter. But they're pushing their way down to get an autograph or to get a to get a, a ball or, or something from from another grown man who throws a ball for a living, which is awesome, by the way, which is very awesome. But at the same time, there's something weird about that to me. Okay, maybe I'm sounding like a like an asshole right now. I don't really, I don't know. I don't really care. I think it's comedy. Um, there's some fun in it too. And it's fun to play grown man with a glove game. I don't care who you are. Try it out. Let me know what you think. Uh, let me know if you think I'm an asshole for it. I don't, I don't know. But it is fun. Uh, one more quick thing on cash too. We took them to, there's a new tattoo shop and I'm going to plug them a little bit. It's called Ponderosa Tattoo. It actually is right on the same block I'm on. Uh, really, really cool shop. We stopped in there the other day. We were riding some bikes around. And uh, 
Uh, I said, man, let's let's stop in and say what's up, man. See uh, see how the new shop's doing. I think they've been there a month or two. Uh, check it out a little bit. So uh, we hop off our bikes. The girls hung outside because I think Jess was walking Brody. Me and Cash roll in there, and there's tons of artwork all over. Really nice shop, looking clean. Um, you know, said what's up to the owner in there. Met him. He was super cool. Um, you know, but we're looking at some of the artwork, and Cash, Cash goes, Dad. And I go, what's up, dude? And he goes, um, uh, there's boobs there. This lady's boobs. I'm like, what? What the hell? What's he talking about? And so he saw an art, some artwork of, um, of a, uh, a female, uh, with some pretty big, a pretty big rack. Let's just say that rolling in on the wall there. And I said, what's up, man? Um, you know, I, and, and, uh, I said, Okay, you want to get out of here? Whatever he goes, yeah, yeah, I want to go. I said, okay, well, let's 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 get out of here. I said, I'm sorry, bud. You know, I didn't really know uh, that 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 was on there. I'm I'm sorry that you saw that. He's four, right? He's he's little, and and you know what he told me? He goes, he goes, Dad. He kind of got mad a little bit. He goes, Why did you take me in there? I saw those boobs, and it gives me tingly wiener. <laughs> and I was rolling, man. Was, I, it gives me a tingly wiener. Saw the booth. So this kind of shit starts real early. So just remember that those of you who uh, don't have kids yet, or you have boys who were young and I'm just kind of learning this myself. Um, you know, I remember too, I was a young kid once too, right? You know, you get your first little, bu- or, all right, I'm just going to stop right there. Um, <laughs> what else have we got here, man? We got, we got Scotty's 40th. So that's kind of the, that's kind of something I, w- I wanted to, uh, to talk about a little bit. Uh, first, before we get into to some of the uh, the the page one hundred and one from from the AA book, because I think that's kind of the main piece here. Um, but like I said before, one of my best homeboys, Scotty. You know, happy birthday to you, man! Um, if you guys go back to episode one seventy, uh, we had Scotty and his wife Mel and the Jess on the podcast, and uh, I think we talked a lot about stepping out of your comfort zone, getting uncomfortable, trying new things out. Uh, Scotty and Mel were on the road uh, last year, like pretty much all of 2018 um, or no, half of 2018 and I think half of 2017. So for about a year, maybe a little longer than a year, I may be a little off on those dates, but somewhere around there, they, they, they pimped their van out and they just cruised the country and saw so many different spots. They stepped out of their comfort zone um, and they just went for it. You know, and and that's kind of what we talked about. We told that story, and it's a really, really cool story. You know, Scotty and I have known each other for a long time, and I uh, just want to wish him the best. The the best. The best. Want to wish you the best, Scotty. Scotty, I just want to wish you the best, man. <laughs> I want to wish you the best, man. It's good stuff, and and we go way back, man. I love him like a brother. I can't believe he's forty. He looks like Jesus. Uh, in fact, okay. So let me give you let me give you a picture. If uh, Scotty's one of the dopest snowboarders that I know. Uh, so if you can picture Jesus riding a snowboard, shredding the gnar down some killer slopes, bruh, that's what Scotty looks like. I think there's a picture of him. If you go back on the episode 170 on there, if you're curious, uh, he's so handsome, such a handsome chap. Fuck. Yeah. On top of that, like Jesus would, Scotty will give you the shirt off his back. He's a good friend. He's a great friend. I love him. I hope he has an amazing 40th birthday weekend. So fucking pumped to be a part of it. We're going to roast his ass too. Shit, we are going to roast it. I'm going to record it. I'll see you know, how the recording comes out if there's not too much debauchery in it. Maybe, I'll, uh, maybe we'll put it out on a podcast. Who knows? Um, 
But I want to share a quick little story about this, uh, about about uh, uh, Scotty and I, uh, that I think's funny. Uh, so we went snowboarding. Uh, you know, gosh, this was this was definitely pre kids. I don't think Jess and I were married yet. Um, and uh, let's see, gosh, my mid twenties, maybe. Yeah, probably mid twenties. Um, we go up, and Scotty's got a broken collarbone already. Right, he's already got a broken collarbone, but he's about to have surgery the following day. And he goes, "Hey, bro, I want to get one more ride in." before I have my surgery, because I'm going to be out for the rest of the season. So I go, hell yeah, man, let's go. I, I would love to go. So, so we roll up. This dude's already got a broke collarbone. He's, you know, doing the thing the following day, last ride of the day. As soon as we get there, though, we're getting on the lift, and he goes, oh, it's broken bone day. And I go, what? Shut the fuck up, dude. We're gonna, you're going to jinx us, man. We cruise all day. Beautiful day out. Crisp blue sky. I think we rode Sierra that day. Um, had a great time shredding the gnar, bro. We get towards the end of the day and, uh, and, and, uh, we go, okay, let's, let's do one more run. And, uh, so he smashes down the hill. I'm a little bit behind him. I'm tired, man. I'm, I'm feeling it by the end of the day. And, um, I get about halfway down the hill and I'm rolling, man. I'm cruising. I'm not doing anything crazy, but I think I was just my legs, man, were just really, really tired by that, by that time. And I catch an edge and just completely face plant right on my collarbone. I hear it break in half and I do a somersault and I just, I'm, I'm sitting on my ass board still strapped to me, but I just feel it was like a delayed reaction. I knew I broke it because I heard it pop. And then as I sat up, I just went, Oh shit. Pretty sure I just broke my collarbone. <laughs> and I'm like, it's the weirdest feeling. I don't know if anyone out there has experienced that, who's listening, you broke your collarbone, but it doesn't feel too good. So what did I do? Let me backtrack a little bit. Before I went on the trip that day, I made a promise to the Jess. It was my mother-in-law, who wasn't my mother-in-law officially yet at the time, but it was her birthday that night. And birthdays are big in the Matthews family. We all get together. Everyone hangs out, especially back then too. Like, man, it was like, you, you, you better be there. And still, you better be there, of course, too. It's family's birthday, right? But it was like, you better be there. And so that's what Jess told me. She goes, I don't really want you going snowboarding. She wasn't too happy that I was rolling out because we had the birthday dinner that night. I said, hey, I promise you I will be at that dinner right down from the hill. I promise. So break the collarbone, sit up. Scotty's waiting down at the bottom of the hill. It probably took me 20 minutes to get down. I, I stand up. I cruise down the rest of the hill, holding the side of my, uh, of my collarbone. Um, you know, and I can feel it kind of bouncing worst feeling ever. We get down. I go, Hey bro, broke my collarbone. He goes, no shit. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident I broke it. So I said, okay, let's go to the truck. At this time, he drove this big-ass white-lifted truck, man, and it it bounced too, man. It, when you're going back down the hill from Lake Tahoe, you got some windy roads, you're in the mountains. That thing was going to be dipping up and down pretty hard. And uh, we um, so we get out to the parking lot, and I'm in some pain. You know, It's not feeling too hot. And uh, I know I got to go to dinner as well. Uh, luckily a guy next to us had a, 
huge bottle of Vicodin and some Jägermeister. Who wants Jäger? The dude with the broken collarbone. Give me some of that shit. So I ate a handful of Vicodin, smashed some uh, some Jägermeister and felt somewhat okay as we uh, proceeded to drive down the hill, bouncing up and down in the big lifted truck on my way to Marillo's in Vacaville for birthday dinner. And I showed up and I ate dinner with a broken collarbone like a savage. And then I went to the emergency room afterwards and it hurt like shit. Point being, number one, we had a good time. Number two, all the dudes are going snowboarding this weekend up in um, up in Truckee uh, for, for the birthday weekend this weekend. And uh, first of all, Hope those dudes have a blast. My ass ain't going snowboarding. I'm going to kick back and get ready, get the shit ready at the house. Uh, keep the hot tub warm, you know. Uh, have a good time there. But I hope those guys have a good time snowboarding. I was too scared to get back out. I think I've been maybe once, maybe twice that I can recall since then. Uh, but, man, dude, there's not much they can do for a broken collarbone. You know, you, you they put it in like a figure eight brace, I think, at one point, And... Um, uh, you kind of just leave your 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 arm stuck down, and um, if you jerk off, hopefully you're ambidextrous because uh, you ain't got the whole use of one side of your whole damn body. Better learn to rub some soap on your ass, shampoo your hair with one hand, anything you can do, man. You really don't you really don't uh, realize how much you use both sides of your body uh, until uh, you don't have full usage of it. So I don't want any more of those injuries. So I figure I'm gonna hang back at the old age of 37. Try to stay off uh, the old slopes. Maybe I'll go back to skiing. Pizza. Pizza. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you're skiing, you got to hit pizza. It's like you, you put your skis together. It helps to slow you down. Learn that as a kid, man. Come on. Get with the program. Yeah, maybe I'll get some skis sometime. I think that sounds fun. Seems a little more safe uh, than snowboarding. As long as you don't hit a tree, you're good. Either way, man. Going to be a damn good time. So... Here's what we're getting into in this topic here. So I'm going to Scotty's 40th this weekend. I already mentioned it again. We're going out dancing. I ain't going to fucking dance. Jess probably dance. Mark Farina. Um, you know, birthday parties. Um, all kinds of good stuff that you go to. Weddings, funerals, um, any kind of get together, something downtown, a concert. What is always there? What is always gonna be there? You can't fucking hide from it. It's on every corner, every grocery store, every gas station, everywhere you go. What is there? There's alcohol around you. Are you going to hide from it forever if you're trying to stay sober? Well, let me tell you this. Early on, I did. Early on, I did. Early on, I had to. Early on, it was absolutely crucial to my recovery that I stayed as far away from it as I could. I was not spiritually fit in early recovery because I was in early recovery. I was trying to figure myself out, trying to figure out why the fuck I bought Wranglers in a hunting vest. I had no idea who I was, who's this new sober human being. The last thing I needed to do was go hang out at a party or a wedding or somewhere I really didn't have a need to be where there was going to be drinking, drugs, anything of that sort, uh, marijuana, whatever it is, I didn't need to be around that. Okay. And I'm not saying I still need to go and be around that if I don't have a purpose to be there. Okay, it's it's there there's a there's a difference there that I have 
um, that I have and continue to learn through this process of life and through this process of my recovery. I have a purpose to celebrate my homeboy's 40th birthday this weekend, and I'm proud to do so. And so I've had some people ask me, well, how do you do that? How do you go into an environment like that and be the only one sober? How do you do it? Um, you know, and, and I don't know that off the top of my head that I exactly have an answer right away for that, but we're going to dig into this big book shit right now and, and let's kind of go from there. So this comes from uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 101, and it's going to talk a little bit about how we party sober. It's going to talk a little bit about how we deal, how we cope uh, with dealing with the fact that alcohol is not really the problem. I'm the problem. How do we how do we think about that? How do we frame that up? What does that look like for each of us in our own recovery? And here's how it starts. It's page 101. And I, I think what I'm going to do here is I have one, two, three, four, uh, uh, five. And the fifth one is, is, is pretty short, just a couple of sentences. But I have about five paragraphs and I, and I, I broke them up and I'm going to go through each paragraph, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about each one and what that means to me. Okay. So here's, here's this first one. Let me take a drink real quick. Mm. Damn, the coffee's cold already. It's a bummer. Let's get some water instead. All right. Keeping it real. Keeping it real, son. Podcast shit. Oh man, I'm just doing it up right now. Underground garage style. Uh, we let a friend borrow the uh, podcast table right now. So I have like I have like a coffee table with the mixer on it. I got a little side lamp table with my computer and the mic on it. I got like a light off to the side. Man, dude, it's the best to just to just rock this shit like just straight from the heart. Like that's what this is about. This stuff right now. It's fun. We're talking from the heart. We're being real about this shit. It's not something that we're trying. We don't have any agenda. We don't have any agenda right now except just to have some fun, talk about recovery, talk about life, um, you know, and just just make a connection there between all of us, whether it's through listening to this, responding to this through, you know, email, through social media, whatever. And I'm on a I need to get off some social media shit. We'll touch on that at the end of the show today. But let me get back to this. I'm going to go off on a tangent here. This is Big Book AA, page 101. Assuming we are spiritually fit. We can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We must avoid moving pictures which show drinking scenes. We must not go into bars. Our friends must hide their bottles if we go to their houses. We must not think or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. So like I said before, in the beginning of my recovery, this is how I saw it. This is how I saw it. All of that. I completely needed to remove myself from any point of, of alcohol, of drugs, of environments, anything. It was crucial to my recovery in early recovery. So I want to be very upfront when I say that um, I was very, very careful about that. And if I, if somebody asked me, well, what would you, what advice would you give? What I would say would be, you know, be very, very careful if you're in early recovery. There's not really a need. And I'm talking like first year, you know, maybe even the first couple of years. 
Um, you know, and everybody's different. So I'm not telling anybody what to do. I don't fucking know what your own personal, you know, program looks like. But what I do know is for me in the first year, the first couple of years, I was not in any state, any shit. I remember, you know what? As a matter of fact, I just remembered right now going with, um, with my family, we went out to Santa Cruz and I think I was maybe two years, uh, two years sober at the time. And man, everybody was partying down around me. Just, you know, having, there was lots of beer and lots of booze and lots of wine flowing. And man, all my family was having a great time. They were doing the thing. Uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, like they had fun, man. That, that was on them. It, it wasn't, it wasn't my, um, my, my, uh, my intention, uh, to, to feel, um, uncomfortable around that, you know, but once I got there, something, something happened and I started to get weird a little bit and it had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with me. And as I continue this process, you know, I, I learn more and more about that every time. Um, I, and, and now what I'm talking about, what we're talking about right now through going through this, I was not spiritually fit at that time. You know, I just wasn't, I wasn't in the right place to be able to be around all that. So it's really up to the person. You got to know where you're at now to the point I can't hide from alcohol. I can't, I think I got some dyslexic shit here too. I, I, I wrote some notes here. It says I can't hide from alcohol. I've been doing that shit a lot lately, writing words backwards, man. I might need to get that checked out, uh, but I can't hide from alcohol. Alcohol is not my problem dealing with life. That's my problem. Alcohol is the tool I used for many, many years to deal with life's bullshit. Life's not easy. We all know that, right? We got ups, we got downs, we got peaks, we got valleys. Man, dude, some days are phenomenal. Some days fucking blow. Depends how your perspective is. Depends how your spiritual fitness is. Where are you at? You know, I can't hide from the booze forever. I'm going to have to deal with it at some point in my life. I'm going to have to go to a wedding. I'm going to have to go to a birthday party. I'm going to have to go to a funeral. I'm going to have to be around family, around friends. You know, that shit's there. I'm going to have to go into a grocery store one day. I might have to walk down the aisle. I try to avoid it at all costs, but you never know. Maybe you take a wrong turn. It's going to pop up. And if you're not spiritually fit, it could fuck with you big time. Really, really big time. Okay, let's go on to the next paragraph. We meet these conditions every day. Like I just said, an alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There's something the matter with his spiritual status. His only chance for sobriety would be someplace like the Greenland ice cap. And even there, an Eskimo might turn up with a bottle of scotch and ruin fucking everything. Um, ask any, and they didn't put the, the, the fucking in there. I added that in by the way, no, no F words in the big book. Uh, ask any women, ask any woman who has sent her husband to distant places on the theory he would escape the alcohol problem. Okay. They call that the ge- uh, geographical relocation. Actually, Sean Beasy and I touched on this. He brought it up and I said, man, that's so crazy, bro. I'm talking about that on the podcast later. But the geographical relocation, man, this shit's fucked up around here. I'm drinking like crazy. I need to get out of here. I need to go. I'm going to move. I'm going to move to Texas. I'm going to move to Florida. I'm going to move to, uh, you know, wherever the hell, the other side of the world. I'm going to move to Europe. I'm going to go up to, 
you know, wherever. I want to go to the next town over. Who knows, but that geographical location doesn't work most of the time. How many of you have tried that? I tried it. I tried it early on. I don't think I knew it was a uh, geographical relocation at the time. I moved down to Southern California uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, late teen. I think I was about 19 or 20, actually. Moved down there with uh, 200 bucks in my pocket with my homeboy, Nate Riddle. And uh, he was going to college. I decided to get a job. I worked at a deli. And all I did was uh, was take bong rips and drink 40s and make sandwiches all day. That was pretty much my life for about six months. Um, and, hey, it was a good time. I tried to get away from, I want to get, I got to get out of Vacaville and get out of here. I'm going to go to college, clean my life up. I didn't do any of that shit. Because guess what? Guess what? Wherever I go, there I am. Plain and simple. I'm my own worst enemy. Geographical relocation does not work for me. Make sure I put that in there. For me. Didn't work for me. And I've talked to many a folk, says it in the big book as well, who have talked to many a folk that it doesn't work. Because wherever I go, there I am. I got to be dealing with the shit. I got to be spiritually fit. How motherfucking spiritually fit are you? Ask yourself that question right now. How spiritually fit am I? I just asked myself. And guess what? I'm pretty spiritually fit, but I can do better. I can do better. And I make a commitment to that every day to try my best to be spiritually, emotionally, and I'm getting better on the physically fit side. Got to put the work in. Next paragraph, if uh, in our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism, which proposes to shield the sick man from the temptation is doomed to failure. Hold, 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 back, 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 back the fuck up. I got to read that shit one more time. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism, which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. Why can't I process that? In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism, which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation, is doomed to failure. I see. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time. And, and we've seen that many times, right? But he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking. If we have a legitimate, this is in uh, uh, bold highlight right here too, this little phrase. If we have a legitimate reason for being there. Let me read that one more time. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking. If we have a legitimate reason for being there, that includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain ordinary parties to a person who has had an experience with an alcoholic. This may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. Now, I want to make sure I hit home. I know I already hit on it. I want to make sure I hit home. Yes, I believe this to be very, very true. It's in the big book. I like it. If I was in my first year 
of recovery, my first two years of recovery, which I was at one point, I was not going to bars or nightclubs or dances or receptions. I did go to a couple weddings. It was uncomfortable. Even plain ordinary parties, I distanced myself. And a lot of my homeboys will tell you that it wasn't because I didn't love them. It wasn't because I didn't like them. It wasn't because I was judging or or trying to, um, you know, I was trying to fucking stay sober straight up. That's it. That's it. I stayed away as much as I could. And I had to. It was crucial for me to stay sober. Okay, but the more we work a program, the more we become spiritually fit. We start to understand this stuff a little bit more. And I have a general understanding of it now like I've never had before. And man, it's a, it's a continued process. Every day is something a little bit different, a little new. You know, so it's a, a continued work in progress. But I can't run from alcohol. It's everywhere. No way you're going to get away from it. People drink. Many people drink responsibly. That said, many don't. But the ones who do, God fucking bless them. Excuse my language, God. I love you. But I don't know how y'all who do drink responsibly can do it. I can't. I can't go live in a hole forever either and live in fear of alcohol. I can't. It's, it's impossible. I'd be a miserable ass. I have to be spiritually fit. I have to do the work. I got to have my battle armor ready, right? You don't go into battle without any armor on. You you strap up, you know? I just thought of having sex with a condom and they say, you strap up. <laughs> That's funny. Funny to me at least. Maybe not to you. I don't know. Fuck off. <laughs> but you put your battle on, you know, or you put your battle armor on. Uh, and so what is your battle armor? Is it a phone call? Is it a walk? Is it a meeting? Is it an exit plan? You put a strategy together. You know, you put boundaries up whatever place you're going to. So what does that look like for you? I go into the ring with a fucking strategy, no matter where it is. No matter where it is that I'm going, what I'm doing, where I'm at. You know, no matter what event it is, I have to put on that armor. Call it God's armor too, man. I got that blessing of God over me. I need to put that armor on. God, protect me right now. You know, God, give me the strength right now. God, put me in a spot right now where I am extremely, um, you know, spiritually fit in the best place so I can get through this if you have to be there and maybe you don't want to be there in a certain situation. You know, but that's what it's about. That's how, uh, you know, for me, I've been able to get through some of this stuff and party fucking sober. Sound like a wrestler right there. At least I, f I felt like I did. All right, next paragraph here. You will note that we have made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, satisfactorily, is that, is that the right word, I think? You need to have no you need have no apprehension. Go or stay away. Whichever seems best. And I'm going to add this in there in that moment. Whatever seems best in that moment. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start. 
and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think instead of what you can bring to it. I love that right there. I love that. Don't think about what you're going to get out of it, but think about what you can bring to it. What can you offer? How can you serve? But if you're shaky, you would better work with another alcoholic instead of going. (laughs) I love that last part. And I think that's the best question to ask yourself, you know, from the beginning is, do I have a legitimate reason to be here? Do I have a reason to be here? You know, back in the day, I just kicked it most of the time. You know, I didn't have a specific reason other than a party, maybe, you know, and and other than to hang out and party. It wasn't like I had this, you know, most, I mean, not all the time, but a lot of the time I was partied so much. Like I didn't, I didn't really have a reason to be there. Totally different now. Totally different now. If I got a reason to be somewhere, I want to be there. And it's up to me to be ready to be. Uh, you know, healthy in that. Um, Your job now is to be at the place where you can be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God will help you unharmed. Love that. This is really one of my favorite parts. Okay. Now I had this I had this um, this moment, I don't know, maybe two years ago, where I got a little word from God, man, and 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 you know, it spoke to me, and it just said, like, "Hey, Shane, like, I need you to get, I need you to get in the Word. I need you to get spiritually fit because I need you to go in and be you." He didn't say, you know, I need you to go in and fix anybody. That's not my job. It's not my job to judge anybody or to try to pull them out and tell them you need some help or you, it's not, I don't do that shit. I don't want to do that. I I don't have any desire to do that. And I don't. Okay. But what he did say is I need you spiritually fit so you can go in environments and be the example for someone out there who might want to cut back on their drinking or to quit drinking altogether. You know, who's having a really difficult time and saying, man, like, I don't know what to do. You know, but man, that dude Shane over there, he looks like he's somewhat happy. Maybe, maybe he, uh, you know, how, how do I get a little bit of that? That's what he was talking about. And that's how I took it in that moment. You know, saying, I need you spiritually fit because I need you to go into these places and be you. And so that's really what I've tried to do. And I love in that paragraph how, you know, this was just such a confirmation to, for me to go back and read this today because I forgot about this. I read this, but I read this, it, you know, a while ago, a long while ago, probably, um, it's probably been at least probably two years since I specifically remember reading this part of the big book. And it meant something to me a lot different then than it does now. You see, because I'm in a different place now than I was two years ago, even, you know, so this man, what a confirmation that is, you know, what a confirmation that is. Therefore ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social business or a personal reason for going to this place. And then now your job um, now is to be at the place where you be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere. If you can be helpful, like, come on, come on to me. That just speaks volumes. You know, it speaks volumes. That's what this shit is about. 
serving our homies, serving our family, loving on people. And I just want to state real quick, I'm not perfect at that. I'm a very flawed individual. I'm a very jacked up individual some days. You know, some days are better than others, but I'm trying. And I'm doing a hell of a lot better than I was five and a half years ago. I could tell you that. I can tell you that. I need a sip of water, man. My throat is just getting tore back. Now, I already said it before. You know, how can I set a good example for others who may be having thoughts about cutting back or giving up alcohol um, if I'm not willing and spiritually fit enough myself to go in a place where alcohol exists? Okay, I'm, like I said, too, I'm not there to fix anyone. I'm not there to tell anyone what to do or to judge anyone or any other anything like that. It's not my job. My job is to love you. My job is to have tolerance for those who might be rooted in the struggle because I know firsthand what that shit is like and you don't even know you're in it. I didn't even know I was in it. I didn't even know I knew something wasn't right. I knew that. I knew I wanted to stop. Every day I wanted to stop, but I just didn't know how. I didn't know what people would think of me. I didn't know what I would think of myself. I didn't know how to do it. Alcohol was my biatch. <laughs> That's a little ridiculous right there, but it just came out, you know. But alcohol was my 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 lover, you know, it was my my mistress, as they say. I think they state that in the big book too at some point. You know, that was my crutch, man. And I didn't know how to how am I gonna have fun? How the shit can I party sober? You know, I used to think that. How can I party sober? It's impossible. There's no way. Let me tell you, there is a way and it is absolutely amazing. I know who I am today. 100%. Well, I take that back. Not 100%. But I know who I am a lot more than I did five and a half years ago. And I'm still learning every day. You know, there's a certain comfort that comes with that. Now, I mentioned tolerance, okay? That said, I try to have tolerance as much as I can, but after I've heard the same damn story for the fifth time and your breath smells like fucking cat ass and you just puked out of your ass and your mouth and you're falling over on everyone and talking about the same old shit, this is the best fucking wedding I've been to and I don't even care who knows it. Hey, bro, we're not at a wedding. We're at a birthday party. <laughs> Time for me to get the hell out of there at that point and probably somewhat before that too. I usually don't even hang out that long. Um, but the point is, okay, I got to show up. I got to be spiritually fit. I got to have a good time. I want to party sober too. Sometimes I'm crazier when I'm sober. I notice, man, I'm, it's freaking great. And I get to hang, wake over with no hangover, wake up with no hangover. I just drink coffee and bring bring my homeboys or my family, whoever else had a, had a long, fun night. And now they're having a rough morning. Here's some coffee. Let's kick it. Like, that's what it's about, man. Love it. I love it. Partying sober is definitely 100% possible without a doubt. And it's a great time. But in order to do it, I got to have a plan. I got to have a strategy. I have to be spiritually fit. And I have to know when it's time to call it a night too. So how are you going to party sober? What's your thoughts on this? Party sober. Have a good time. Have some fun. But you got to be spiritually fit. 
Can't say it enough. I know I said it like a broken record. Spiritually fit. It's a daily work. A daily progress. Daily process. All that shit. I'm so tired right now. And I think I'm going to wrap this thing up. But I wanted to end on a good note. And I, you know, I mentioned something at the beginning of the podcast. What does Wu-Tang, Bill Murray... And uh, a douchebag pharmaceutical CEO having comments. So I wanted to touch on that real quick and then we'll wrap this up. Um, first, I've been getting tired of the social media shit, you know, and I, I know I still do. I just I just made a little Instagram photo of, of the setup today or before I started recording, um, you know, but dude, this digital, this digital shit is really getting to me lately. And I'm almost to the point where I just want to start putting out a podcast um, and uploading it to, to iTunes and, and that's it. You know, um, I want to put it out and then just leave it alone. I don't want to promote it. I don't want to do any of that stuff. And I really just want to pull the plug on social media period. Um, I've already pulled it on Facebook. If you remember last year, um, uh, Tim from sober nation and I did a podcast on why I, it, I think it was titled why I deleted my Facebook or why deleting my Facebook was the best decision I ever made. And it was, Still stay true to that. I don't go back on Facebook anymore. I'm better than you if you do. Ha ha, fuck off. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not better than you. But I'm just saying, like, Facebook sucked. It sucks. I don't use it. I'll never go back on that shit. Um, but I'm still sucked into the Instagram. So how does that make me any better, right, than of myself? I mean, I'm not better than anybody. But I'm just saying I'm, 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 I'm preaching about not using Facebook, but I'm still on Instagram. There's kind of a conflict of motherfucking interest there, Okay kind of a conflict of interest. And um, it's kind of messing with me. And I'm kind of over it. I'm kind of over having my my head buried in my phone. And a part of it is, um, you know, the work that I do is a lot of it is on my phone. I'm in my email inbox like crazy. That's another thing. I want to pull that shit. But it's busy. And it's part of the job. It's part of the work. I get it. Um, I think when we're at the foundations conference, I, I submitted a request today to Carly. So thank you, Carly, if you hear this. Foundations team is great, by the way, with the conference stuff. I mean, they're on it. And and Carly just, you know, gives me the rundown. She gets back to me. Uh, if I need anything, I can always hit her up. Uh, so I appreciate that. But I hit her up today and I asked, I can't remember the gentleman's name offhand. I have the uh, all the, the notes. It was the first time I saw it today. Uh, but I believe he is a doctor. And one of the... Um, one of the workshops he's doing is, um, screen time addiction. So whether that's to social media, to iPads, to games, um, uh, television, anything like that, he's going to do a whole workshop about it. And I'm trying to get him on the podcast to, uh, to talk about that a little bit more. So, um, hopefully we make that one happen because I want to hear from, from, from a professional more on that. Um, you know, what that looks like. I know we had Cam Adair on at one point too. And I think that was either, I think that was two. Yeah, I think that was two years ago. And, and Cam, uh, Cam owns gamequitters.com. And he's an amazing dude. Same thing though, uh, talking about video game addiction. And it's a thing. Um, so, you know, real quick, back to the digital thing. Here's what I've kind of been doing lately. I've been trying to get into um, get into some records, okay? And I know records is a big thing right now, so I'm not. I'm totally jumping on the bandwagon. That's fine. I'm cool with that. I've 
I've always been, you know, I'm a musician too, always been a huge music lover. Um, I really enjoy listening to music. And one of the old things I used to do, and I used to love doing it. I can remember doing this shit when I was like seven years old to like Guns N' Roses and Millie Vanilli and Vanilla Ice. I had, I mean, I'll, there's a whole bunch of different random stuff. I listen to a lot of different music, but I remember sitting there with the cassette tapes even. And you'd take the cassette tape out and then you'd pull out the um, the insert in there and you could read all the lyrics, you could see the photos. And as I got into, into high school, I used to sit in my room when I started getting into punk rock and um, you know, listening to different different music. Specifically, I remember Link 80, which the you know was some ska, a great ska band from out here in um, in Northern California. Um, Nick Traina, big, big time um, you know, influence of mine. And uh, I can remember sitting there though and, and reading 17 Reasons, like taking out the insert and going through all all Nick's lyrics and just really getting into it. And as cool as digital shit is, it has completely destroyed all of that. It is I feel like it's completely destroyed the art behind music. And I'm really, as much as I love it, so I'm a, I'm sounding a bit hypocritical, as George W. Bush might say. I'm sounding a little bit hypocritical here. Okay, because I, I I do love it. I listen to digital shit. I plug it into my car. I got my little Bluetooth speaker when I'm in the shower. At the same time, I fucking hate it because it took away all of that. So here's what I've done. I said, you know what? Jess bought me a record player for Christmas. And I go, man, I'm going to start getting some records. I'm going to start going. I'm going to check them out. Maybe I'll get into it a little bit. And man, the last like three, four weeks, it's opened up this flood of just like desire and excitement and love. Um, you know, I've been to, I've, so they got Armadillo Records up here in Davis, which I've been to a couple times. Um, I went to a place called The Last Record Store out in Santa Rosa, uh, which what that one was dope. They had a bunch of old punk rock there. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to, to build a little bit more of to start with is a lot of this old punk rock stuff like uh, the Stooges Funhouse album. That's been a legit one I've been on lately. Um, you know, and then I think I went to a Rasputin's, a um, couple Rasputin's. Those are, those are a little more common out here. But anyways, point being, I'm rambling, but here, here's what I want to say about that. Um, it's made it fun again. It's made it fun to go back and research and look at like top punk albums or top hip hop albums or what are some old school stuff that I've never really like I've heard of, but I've never really listened to before. Um, you know, the Dead Boys. I didn't really I had heard of the Dead Boys before. I knew they were kind of a classic punk rap, but I never really listened to any of that at any point in time before. And so that was one of the albums that I found young, loud and snotty. And I just uh, picked a copy up on eBay the other day and that thing's getting delivered now. And it's just so fun to go back and do this. So here's why I'm mentioning this. And here's what this has to do with Wu-Tang and Bill Murray and all this shit. Okay. First things first, I got two stories. One of them's about the Sex Pistols. The one, the other one's about Wu-Tang. And then we're going to wrap this shit up. The first one, I thought this was great. So the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen. Okay. That was the first album on March 10th. Um, well that, yeah, that was their first single. I'm sorry, not full length album, but single. God Save the Queen on March 10th, 1977 at a press ceremony held outside Buckingham Palace, the Sex Pistols publicly signed to A&M Records. Um, now, I guess the real signing had actually taken place the day before, but this was kind of the public version of that. 
Um, afterwards, intoxicated, so drunk as shit, in other words, if, in case you didn't know what intoxicated meant, <laughs> they made their way to the A&M offices. Sid Vicious smashed in a toilet bowl and cut his foot. There's some disagreement about which happened first. As, as uh, Sid Vicious trailed blood around all the offices, Johnny Rotten verbally abused the staff, and Steve Jones uh, looks like he humped some random woman in the ladies' room. Now, a couple of days later, uh, the Sex Pistols got into a rumble with another band at a club. I guess it was one of Johnny Rotten's pals who threatened the life of a good friend of A&M's English director. And on the 16th of March... A&M, just a few days after, less than a week, A&M broke the contract with the Sex Pistols. So here's the point to this story, other than that being hilarious in itself, and I get, I get little pictures of that, and it must have been complete madness. A&M had 25,000 copies of the planned single, God Save the Queen. It was produced by Chris Thomas. Now, they'd already been pressed up. Okay, 25,000, virtually all of them were completely destroyed, right? It's said there are only nine that have made it. Now, I looked today on Discogs where you can, if you go on to Discogs.com, you can find all kinds of old records and the, uh, the history of each record, where they were pressed up at, what country. Um, and, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. I didn't do any of this shit before. You know, and, and it's just been really, really fun. And it's, it's kind of unplugged me from this digital shit other than having to look it up on the computer, I guess. So <laughs> it kind of doesn't make sense. But at the same time, it has been fun. And so get this. I look up those nine copies. I read another article. One of the copies sold, I think, in 2018 for just over $16,000 for one of those copies for one song. But it's the first original uh, original single from the Sex Pistols. I thought that's fucking cool. I love stuff like that. Um, and man, w- wouldn't it be great to uh, to be going, maybe you go into a thrift store and you're going through some old records and you come across a uh, single that uh, good old Mary Jo from her attic, uh, you know, maybe her dad's attic or something, um, you know, somehow ended up with a, a, a original A&M, um, uh, A&M produced copy of God Save the Queen. You know, and you're sitting at looking at one record and it's worth, you know, up to 16 grand. And uh, to me, that shit's priceless, really. I mean, 16 grand. Yeah, that's that's a damn good chunk of change for a record. But it's priceless. Just just that alone. It's a piece of history. Um, Okay, so here's the last story. And here's what I talked about at the very beginning. And if you hung on this long, I appreciate it. What does Wu-Tang, Bill Murray and the world's least popular big pharma CEO have in common. Okay. And if you want to read this article, just to give credit, I pulled it from the sfgate.com. Um, and, uh, let's see, it says in another bizarre twist to the news that the world's least popular big pharma CEO, Martin, um, uh, Shkreli is the millionaire who bought the one of a kind Wu Tang clan album once upon a time in Shaolin, a Twitter user named Rob Wesley, made the joke claim, uh, made the, made the claim. He said joke in there. So I don't know. Is it, that's the thing that a lot of people are still trying to figure out. Was it a joke? Was it real? Um, is it a myth? Who knows? It's definitely interesting. I'm not really sure. Um, but Twitter user named Rob Wesley made the claim that there's a weird clause in the contract, allowing it to be stolen legally. 
um, Shkreli drew, uh, drew shit basically from the music community when he bought the Wu-Tang album. Damn, for $2 million. This dude bought, so basically Wu-Tang made this album, okay, and they only made one copy of it. It's called Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. They put it up for auction, and this dude, um, this this uh, big pharma CEO, who apparently everybody hates, because uh, he scammed a bunch of people from from what I, the little bit I do know. Um, he bid two million dollars for it, okay, and a lot of people got pissed off, said he didn't or didn't deserve the privilege of owning it, all this kind of stuff. But he bid it and he won it, right? So he owns the only copy of this record. Um, his reputation as an apathetic businessman prompted rap group uh, member RZA to announce that they'd be donating a significant amount of the profit to charity. Okay, so here is where Bill Murray and Wu-Tang and this guy uh, come together. Now, the contract for the sale is strict. Uh, Shkreli won't be, uh, or Shkreli, I, I keep messing his name up. I don't know exactly how you say it. I think it's Shkreli. Uh, he won't be able to release the album for 88 years, okay? That's in the contract that he had to sign. So that's not until the year uh, 2103. He could legally release it or his kids can or whatever because obviously he ain't going to be around then. However, as Wesley tweeted, there's also a previously unknown addendum to the legal sales agreement, which states a permission to steal. Here's what he posted on there. He posted an image of the contract between uh, Wu-Tang and Shkreli. And um, the section stated, here's what it said. Any members of Wu-Tang Clan and or their friends, actor Bill Murray, are lawfully allowed to steal the album back in a heist. Here's specifically what it says, allegedly. The buying party also agrees that at any time during the stipulated 88-year period, the seller may legally plan an attempt to execute one heist or caper to steal back Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, which, if successful, would return all ownership rights to the seller. That's what the text reads. Said heist or caper can only be undertaken by current active members of the Wu-Tang Clan and or Bill motherfucking Murray with no legal repercussions. Now, it says this, of course, is not actually true, but... Maybe it could be. So who knows? I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's not. I'm not saying either one. I'm not sure. It's definitely hilarious. It's definitely interesting. And if for some reason it is true, that is fucking gangster right there. And I would love to see Bill Murray and RZA and Jizza uh, sneak in there and just snatch that motherfucker and take it and take it back. That'd be great. That'd make for a great story. Um Man, good stuff. So I hope you stuck around for that. I hope you enjoyed that. I thought it was interesting. Thought it was a little bit of fun. Way to wrap it up. Um, let's wrap this up with one quote. My homie Josh sent me this uh, earlier this week, and I appreciate that, Josh. Um, it says, It will be people with the greatest love, not the most information, who will influence us to change. It will be people with the greatest love, not the most information, who will influence us to change. That comes from Bob Goff. Uh, Bob Goff is an amazing dude. So uh, thanks again, Josh, for sending that over uh, earlier this week, man. That was a good one. 
Um, I love you guys, man. I hope you guys had a good time and you you got some insight into how to party sober. Uh, once again, big shout out to my homeboy, Scotty. 40th birthday, my friend. I love you. And I'm uh, ready to party down this weekend. We're going to have a good time. Um, once again, check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can connect with us on Instagram, at RealThatSoberGuy, and at Shane Lamer on Twitter. Peace, love, and respect. Keep your blood clean.